Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is the first and great commandment of Scripture. It towers over all the rest. It's the principal command, the command of all commands. It's implicit throughout all the rest of the commandments that God has given us. And in this command, God demands that all men acknowledge his existence and his authority, and they demonstrate that allegiance to God by trusting in him alone, worshiping him alone, and living only for his glory. That's what the first commandment is all about. Tonight on Sinners and Saints, we're going to discuss this first commandment and show you how it applies to your life. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Welcome to Sinners and Saints. We're glad you're joining us tonight as we take up this series on the law of God. We're going to be discussing the Ten Commandments. And as usual, joining us for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalustian from Ontario United Reformed Church and Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church. And I'm John Sautel, church planter in the city of Walnut, California. Well, as I said, we've been, uh, for the last couple of shows, talking about the law of God. We have been going through a whole series of distinctions to help you understand the law in correct categories, as the Reformed have always talked about the commandments, interpreted them, applied them, and and seen their role in Christian life. Um, Tonight we're going to take on the first commandment. Before we do, I think it would be helpful for us maybe to do a little bit of review here in terms of some of the things we've covered. And I I think one of the most important things that we're going to have to continue uh, to call to your attention, to remind you of, is the uses of the law now in the life of the Christian. So uh, tonight, let's just start by reviewing that. What are the uses of the law for Christians? Well, let me talk about two important ones, and these are going to be, it's crucial that you keep these in mind as you're listening to us explain the commandments coming from God's Word. Uh, when you hear the law telling you to do something, the first use of that law is to show you that you are sinful and you have not lived up to the command as God has required you to do. So as a Christian, when you're even as a Christian, when you're hearing the law, you should let it expose how you have been lazy in your obedience to your God and rebellious in your obedience uh, against him. And that causes you to flee to Christ and remember that you're saved only by grace uh, through his blood. But once you hear the law and it convicts you of your sin, knowing that you've been saved by Christ in his grace, you want to follow these laws now out of gratitude to show him your thankfulness. So it's a guide for you also as to how you may show a Christ that you're thankful he saved you. I think it's so important that we never forget that, even as Christians, that the law still uh, has this condemning function for us so that we don't become proud and haughty and conceited and think that we've already arrived in our Christian life and all we need is now just uh, some real practical applications to get us started on our spiritual journey. This, the true start to the spiritual walk is to continue to know your sinfulness and show, have the law show you and expose for you your sins. Um, that kind of places this uh, interpretation of the first commandment in context now. Uh, there's, there is, however, a very important issue to take on here when you deal with the first commandment, in this, and that is establishing what really is the first commandment. Uh, there's a couple of different ways of dividing the Ten Commandments, as some of you may be aware. But on one way of dividing the Ten Commandments up, the first commandment, and what we as 
uh, Reformed Protestants generally call the Second Commandment are, are sort of collapsed together. There's two different Jewish traditions in which the Ten Words, as they were called, or the Ten Commandments were divided up. And overall, there's actually 14 commands or imperatives that are given in there. And so there's some division has to be made. And what has happened is that the Roman Catholics and the Lutherans have chosen to combine what we call the first and second commandments right. to divide up the 10th commandment into the ninth and 10th in order to get 10 words out of it. Now, the reason we disagree with this is that there is also an ancient Jewish tradition in which the commandments are divided up the way that we as the Reformed hold them. And what it does is that it actually combines the thoughts of coveting into one command, which we believe fits much better with the overall theme and the manner in which God is speaking. So what we have for the first commandment then is simply the prohibition of having any other God. And so it begins from the prologue, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then the command, you shall have no other gods before me. End of first commandment. It also has the advantage of, in the original, just being a single sentence. And then after that would become the next sentence, which would be the second commandment. And that way it keeps these these commands very sharply distinguished. You don't have two commands then uh, sort of thrown together into one. You have, number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then the second commandment, uh, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. That's a clear, distinct command. We're going to talk about that. Let me, uh, ask, you guys, let me, let me ask you guys a question. I'm listening to this discussion about the division of the commandments. Somebody say, who cares? I mean, well, they all say the same thing anyway. I mean, you're following the same laws if you divide them 2, 10, 3, 7, 5, No, five, well, see, the one, difference nine. is that what you would have with the Roman Catholic division is that simply as long as you don't have idols, then you, have, you would have fulfilled the command. And so we're saying no because it is entirely possible to have multiple gods without idols. And so there's two different things. One, to recognize only one god. And secondly, not to make any idols of him, not to worship him in a false way. So we don't say that, oh, well, as long as you only have one image of God, you're okay. Right. The point is we're trying to do justice to the content of all of the commandments themselves by structuring them in a way that forces us to deal with every little bit of information that is in this series of commandments and take it seriously and apply it to our lives. So we have this, first of all, this division here uh, between the first and the second commandments. And the first, thou shalt have no other gods before me, that forms part of what we also as Protestants call the first table. And then you have commandments 5 through 10, which form the second table and really pertain to uh, man's duty to his fellow man, which is a response to his uh, God, an act of worship and service to him while he's obeying God by the way he treats his neighbor. So stay tuned with us after break. We're going to take up the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. 
For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. Hey, thanks for staying tuned with us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Uh, We're talking about the law of God tonight. We are dealing with the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And before we get into applying this, we want to deal, first of all, with the kind of issues of interpretation. And the first thing I'd throw out to us is, what does it mean when the first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods? What is it to have God? Well, it means in your mind that you are not to have multiple sources of good for yourself. You are not supposed to have multiple things on which you will place your confidence or reliance. There is to be only one God in your thought and which will govern your every action. Yeah, everybody has fundamental convictions about the world around them, about what they believe about religion and the rest of it. And the first commandment, to have God, means that you are convinced in your heart, in your mind, in your very soul, that the God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, is the one who made you and the one who saved you, and you ought to worship him and him only. Okay, but what about this, uh, the language of it here? Because some people could almost be led to think, well, as long as I acknowledge uh, Jehovah first, I, I can still have my other gods, my other idols and whatever. Just as long as I, as I put him first in my life, I, I'm free to go ahead and observe these others. Yeah. Is that the language? Is no. that what it's implying? No, no, no. It says They're, before me. No, no, no. What it's saying is you live... In the presence of God, you live before me, and therefore it is idolatrous and unacceptable for you to concoct in your mind any sort of other gods or supposed powers that exist in the universe because I am the creator, I am the sole creator and your redeemer, and you may not bring in other so-called gods into my presence. Okay, so this commandment, first commandment, says basically there's one God, and you're duty-bound, if you are an image-bearer, to acknowledge him, trust in him, worship him, serve him, see him as the source of all authority uh, and devotion. And so that's basically what we're dealing with. It's not saying that there are other gods out there. God's acknowledging that within the framework of the first commandment. He just wants to be first in the order of dignity and service. That's completely uh, out of the picture. One God. Now, he'll be worshipped and served in only one way. We need to start talking about applying this command and one of the things that's useful to bring up here, when we talk about how to interpret the law, we're going to have to bring this up over and over again. But we have to be careful to not just have a too restricted of understanding of this. But we have to place the commandments in the total breadth of Scripture. One of the unique things about the Ten Commandments that we've always said is that they're a faithful summary of all of God's law. And so what you have throughout the Scripture, whether it be in Israel's history or more fully in the New Testament... You see an expansion of the basic ideas that are contained in the Ten Commandments, and they are applied to God's people at different times in history. So you'll go out throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see uh, the prophets, say, referring back to this first commandment and applying it in the particular situation that the Israelites are living in. You see Paul in the New Testament doing the same things as the Christians in the New Covenant. And the point is that the commandment is more full than just only believe in one God. It summarizes everything in our experience uh, where we would challenge God as the one true God. Okay, so let's take on this commandment first of all. What is the most obvious application of the first commandment? Look, all these so-called gods that claim to be gods, reject them. Uh, Count them to be false. And for some of you, this may seem a very obvious idea, but a lot of Christians today need to hear this, so-called Christians. 
we have to stop entertaining the idea that our God is one God among many or that, you know, our God is just the one God and he's the same as Allah and, you know, everybody kind of has a different way of approaching the one higher power that's out there. No, we believe that the Lord God of the scripture is the one true God and he alone is to be worshipped and everyone else is to be rejected as a false God and as trying to uh, usurp his throne. Okay, so clearly it's ruling out idols, but what about something like, let's say, Atheism, agnosticism. It's ruling out any philosophical option, any theological option, that does not recognize the God of Scripture as being the sole God and sovereign of the universe. And so atheism would also be prohibited by this because he is saying, I am an actor. I have acted and accomplished something, and therefore I am to be recognized for that action. And again, in the New Testament, that's one of the main things that comes out is Christ says, I am to be worshipped because I do the things that God says that need to be done. Yeah, and it's very important that we press this too because um, I think most of us would agree thou shalt have no other gods before me would also work with uh, atheism, but agnosticism is very important too because there's a lot of people who are out there who are fence-sitters and they may even say, well, I believe that some that religion is good. You know, I follow the morals sure. of the Ten Commandments and the other ancient live right, moral codes. But I just don't know which god to pick. Yeah, and the problem is that the God who did make you and who requires your obedience requires you to acknowledge him. You know, ignorance is not an excuse. You can be ignorant of the world in which you live and the fact that God made you. You could maybe not care about it. It doesn't excuse the fact that God who made you demands that you acknowledge him and him alone, not yourself, not your own reason, whatever it might be, and that you submit and worship him. And God also tells us that no one is actually unaware of his existence. And so even if people don't want to acknowledge it, we would say that we know from Scripture that you are suppressing the knowledge of this truth, and therefore you are in sin. So you don't, you might not want to acknowledge it, but that doesn't relieve you of the burden. Yeah, religiously speaking, I mean, atheism isn't a whole lot different from agnosticism in the sense that both systems are placing their own reason and themselves in the place of God. Well, and, and agnosticism is purely lacking the, the nerve, I guess, nerve of character to say, I don't believe God exists. You're going to say, well, I'll, I'll be in the more comfortable position I can live with myself to say, well, I'm just not sure which one he is. Well, that's, that's practical atheism too. So you're not in any better camp there. Right. The point is, according to the scripture, that is no better. You're no less of an idolater to say, well, I don't know, rather than to deny God's existence flat out. Okay, so... Clearly, it forbids atheism, agnosticism, uh, various forms of idolatry. We come back after the break. We continue to enlarge our understanding and application of the first commandment. So stay tuned with us after break. Don't touch that dial. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Reformation Radio. Theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway. 
Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Okay, thanks again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Uh, we're talking about the First Commandment. By the way, if you want to get in touch with us, call us at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. Or check us out on the Internet. That's sinnersaint.org. Sinnersaint.org. When we deal with this commandment, we already said, it, it clearly commands something. This big, broad command. Uh, it, it prohibits atheism, agnosticism, various forms of idolatry. Uh, but that's the broad command. Specifically, now, we've got to break this down. And I believe... That the pattern that, that will help you understand how it applies to your life is to see you have the broad command, and then that basically guides us into thinking about patterns of behavior or virtue that are consistent with that broad command are now become the specific applications, and then on the other side of that, the vices which it prohibits would be the things that we should not participate in. So how can we break this down into categories like that? Well, anything that you do is going to involve some of the other commandments. So that's uh, one thing you have to start with, is that you're going to have a lot of overlap. And what you're looking at here is, and as it says in our Heidelberg Catechism, the summary, in short, I give up anything rather than go against his will in any way. Since there is only one God and there's no one you can appeal to to uh, fight him, what you need to do is submit to him. And so right off the bat, there is this fear. And the Proverbs say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But along with that is an acknowledgement that this one God who could destroy us and against whom we have no other ally is nonetheless a loving God, a loving father who has rescued us from the slavery of sin, redeemed us with the blood of his son. And so we ought to love him and respond with gratitude in all things. Let me let me make that concrete. That I'm going to read here from the, the Westminster uh, larger catechism 104 says what are the duties required in the first commandment and it says first of all the duties required is the knowing acknowledging god but then says to worship and glorify him accordingly and then it breaks that down here's how you worship and glorify god by thinking by being zealous for him by calling on his name giving him praise yielding obedience uh being sorrowful when he is offended i mean that's a whole series of very concrete applications which are fully consistent with this general command, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And also when you pray to him to actually believe that all that he has said is true, that he does want you, his creatures, redeemed by the blood of his son to come to him through the blood. And therefore, don't bring additional ways of bribing him and don't try to get other mediators or other substitutes in order to approach him. So you don't come before him and say, I've done these good works. You don't come before him and try to trade, you know, in vow, say, I'll do this or that. And you don't go through Mary and the saints. Right. I think what we want to do when we think about the first commandment and applying that, we, we want to think about ways in which in our society and in our churches, in our culture, that we are tempted most specifically to disobey uh, this commandment. You shall have no other gods before. Moses, you brought up one, and this is very common among religious people. It's uh, praying to saints. Uh, many people who profess that the Lord God of Israel is the only one living and true God deny that confession by their practice of trusting in others to sort of get his ear. The Catechism, in a lot of different places, talks about this. It says that 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 fundamentally is a denial that Christ, as God himself, is sufficient for us, that we might look, that he doesn't love us enough or isn't powerful enough to help us by himself, but that we would flee to others to sort of 
intercede for us. That idea fundamentally undercuts our profession, believing in the one true, almighty, all-loving God. Another area where this has been applied to is the whole domain of witchcraft and sorcery and demonic powers and so forth, Ouija boards. The list could go on and on. But uh, in the Protestant tradition, we've generally applied it in that way because those things are seen as, say, uh, a different power source than God. And to have God alone as your God is to trust that his power and his wisdom and might are sufficient for you. But when you go off and you try to consult spiritists, wizard, palm readers, and all this other stuff, you're trying to channel uh, their powers and, and in the place of God's. And, and that's not fitting, and that's not proper or obedient as a Christian. Right, or the idea of uh, astrology is really popular. Oh, it's just a, a fun thing to kind of you see creeping into the lives of Christians, this sort Have of Have you read your subtle, horoscope today? Yeah, this subtle, they think it's a joke, but then over time people really begin to put a little bit of stock in that. So you see, that's putting a false god in God's place. So even, you know, people talk about luck. Yeah. As if things happen merely by chance, independent of any providential act of God or any you know cause and effect relationship in the universe. These kinds of things fundamentally undercut the idea that God alone is the true God and in control of all things. Okay, so let me just get this straight. Would you uh, place under the category of luck, sort of irrational risk-taking, uh, irrational kind of behavior that... I, I guess sometimes I'll throw it in here. Gambling is also considered under that. Is that all part of this? All right, let me let me readdress the the idea of luck here. Uh, we use the word luck, and I don't think in an unChristian way necessarily. We talk about the fact in the world that we don't know what the future holds, and uh, we have a general knowledge of how things break in the world. And so, when we tell somebody good luck, we can mean it in a way that I hope things, you know, providentially break well for you, even though I have no knowledge one way or the other how things are going to turn out. On the other hand... But you shouldn't use the word potluck. You should use pot providence. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, you can use the word potluck as long as you are not denying Worldly. that God Worldly. is... In, yeah, exactly. That God is in control of all things and what have you. The problem is a lot of people do use the word luck in a very unbiblical way. They don't believe that a God exists who controls all things. There is no personal force behind all of the mechanisms in the universe. There is no cause and effect relationships in the world for which I am responsible. I mean, they, if you deny all of those premises and you use the word luck, then you've got a problem. You're violating the first commandment. It's kind of like this idea that uh, God only has so many hands and there's a whole bunch of levers to pull up in heaven and uh, hey, maybe his hands are too busy right now to pull the good one for me, so uh, I'm just going to cast all of my money onto luck this time and hopefully it gets there before uh, before when I need him. Yeah, you know, some Christians in times past have used this commandment, this idea of uh, worship the Lord your God and serve him only to say that's why you can't play cards because uh, somehow that's relying on luck. Well, no, you can play cards and you can say, well, I know that the Lord is in control of all things in his universe. He even controls the so-called random output of the cards and the order in which they appear. Uh, but you don't want to get seduced into the ungodly view that things are just arbitrary that happen. What does God require me in the first commandment? Simple. Trust in him with my whole heart and honor him so as to rather to renounce all creatures than to do the least thing against his will. That's the first commandment boiled down to a simple form that you can apply and live out in your life. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. 
That's 866-99-UNITED. 